And we welcome you to another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptal, C70. It's about at C70 on Twitter. And with me, as always, is Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. The Cardinals are playing baseball games. We've had a chance. Well, let's put this way. There have been opportunities to watch the Cardinals over the last couple of days. Now, neither Tara and I have had a chance to avail of ourselves to those opportunities very much. Just seeing a few innings, I think, between the two of us. But it's still, Tara, nice to know that we're seeing some games, we're seeing other teams, we're seeing results that I don't say matter, but are more important than batting practice videos of Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, this is always an interesting time of year, and, and you get such strong opinions from people about how they feel about spring training in general, as far as you know the fandom of it, how excited you get about it. But this is the point where we start to kind of paint in a few of those those pictures right as far as what to expect in the season and obviously you can't do any of that after two spring training games although twitter has certainly tried for the likes of tyler o'neill and harrison bader among others but it is an exciting time because you start to see what all that offseason work actually looks like in game scenarios you start to see where guys have made improvements you start to see where some of the young guys might actually fit in if they're given a realistic chance and Besides that, uh, listen, we all just love baseball. And so to see guys out there playing against not their own teammates, it's exciting, even if the result doesn't necessarily mean that much. Right. I mean, you know, I know your partner in crime, Alex, Chris Fully, is completely <laughs> ignoring all everything that's going on right now until it's like uh-huh. about a week beforehand. But um, which makes doing a podcast about the team a little bit challenging, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Still love you, Alex. Don't worry. Don't worry. But, of course, of course. Um, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's fun to to see, and you know, it's spring training for everybody, and it's spring training for us as well. Uh, you know, yeah. as fans, to have a chance to get used to watching games, and we don't get to watch them. I mean, we talk about spring training games and how exciting it is to be back there, but if you have a regular work schedule, which not everybody does, but if you do you very rarely get to see any yeah. of these games. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, noon on a weekday is not the best time for viewership. Of course, they rerun them later in the evening. But um, still, it's good to have, you're right, it's good to have some data points. And, and you, you, can't, you can't extrapolate them as much as you'd want to. But let's take Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill's not going to hit a home run every game he plays in? Uh, <laughs> I mean, he could. I wouldn't put it past him, but uh, probably not. But it is good to see him come out and get that home run. Now, again, both him and Harrison Bader, the wind was blowing, which does not hurt them any. It definitely it was, didn't hurt. It was blowing it in on, on Tyler O'Neill, though. Yeah, it probably was, wasn't it? Um, I think Harrison Bader got more um, help. Yeah, a little bit of an assist there. <laughs> yeah, I guess I knew Tyler was – I didn't see it, but I remembered it being blowing. But you're right. I think it was more blowing in. And Tyler O'Neill needs no help to get a ball out of the stadium. Um, but it's good to see, I mean, if nothing else, I mean, if Tyler O'Neill goes 0 for 4 and then goes 0 for 4 again, you know, people are like in, in this outfield race that we're watching, that can be the difference. Um, because if somebody comes along like Lane Thomas and hits two home runs in those first couple of games, well, all of a sudden he's got a leg up on this race and you know, sometimes getting that leg up is all you need, and then you just have to maintain it. Um, with the competitive outfield situation that we're seeing this spring, 
I think that brings a little bit more import again, not a whole lot, but a little bit more import to even these early games. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because spring training, as much as we can maybe talk about, or players will talk about the fact that it's, it maybe is a little too long. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's still not really that much time. So if you are trying to prove yourself, if you are trying to figure out what your role is on the team, or if you're trying to make enough of a statement to claim a spot that's available, it it's one of those things that you probably can't win the job in the first week. <laughs> you probably can't lose it in the first week either, but you can set yourself back and you can put yourself in a position much like I think Tyler O'Neill was in for a lot of last season, right? Because he was hurt off and on, then you kind of fade out of the, the present moment in in the minds of everyone who's putting together those rosters you kind of become the afterthought really quickly in this sport and so for Tyler O'Neill to be given the chance to claim an everyday spot and to start it off like he did it doesn't win him the spot it doesn't earn him any favors it doesn't do anything except set him up in a position where he's off on the right foot and and I think that's a good thing for him Mentally, also, you know, I heard him in an interview yesterday talking about how he's dramatically changed the way that he trains, the way that he eats, the way that he prepares, which is fascinating to me because he's like, let's be real, such a physical specimen Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you're like, how how do you need to train better? Because like you're in better shape than 98% of other baseball players, it seems. But there's a difference in in having very large muscles and being in good baseball shape and taking care of yourself in a way that allows you to not get hurt, to stay on the field so that you don't fade out of the minds of the people who, who can employ you and who can put you out on the field. So I've been impressed with the way that he's talked about taking advantage of the opportunity that he has this spring and it's not a ton of time and and he seems to be putting himself in a, a really good position mentally and then followed it up with you know a towering home run which doesn't hurt his case in the least yeah, it's interesting that he talks about that training because you know for so long in baseball weightlifting was frowned upon because of that right, that if right. you're going to get too bound too tight you're going to get hurt and all that kind of stuff and and i think you know baseball has obviously gotten away from that um but there may be still some some grain of truth to it obviously he has had some injuries in the past and it'll be interesting to see if this new routine will keep him on the field more um and what it'll do if anything to change his power and it doesn't look like it's changed his power at all right now so, <laughs> yeah i mean there's um, there's such a kind of revolution in baseball right now with the way that you train there's so much more just like there's more information available as far as baseball data there's mm-hmm. that much more information available about how the biomechanics of the body works and there are so many baseball players who are finding ways to train themselves to prepare their bodies so that they don't get hurt so that they can kind of proactively avoid some of those pitfalls instead of waiting until it happens and then rehabbing and Tyler Neal didn't go into any details about what he has changed or what he's done specifically but I know that that's a big push in the baseball landscape right now and there are a lot of guys who are really taking ownership of how they prepare their body even separate from just like the baseball drills side of things um, and and seeing really significant results as far as their durability and their um, 
just the the maintenance of that baseball shape. So I don't know if that's what he's done specifically, but there does seem to be a, a trend in that direction that maybe goes away from quite as much of the the lifting, as you mentioned, which we all can see Tyler O'Neill does well, but more of the, um, you know, the motion and the the movement and the stability and the kind of core stuff that is the basis for allowing you to do all the stuff that's super athletic. So um, again, I just, I've been really impressed with the way that he's taken that on and, and taken ownership of how he can get better, not just from a baseball power standpoint, but from a way that will make him a, a more interesting, a more appealing option as an everyday player. Yeah. I mean, when we, we talk about this information age of baseball, you know, obviously we get into the analytics and things of that nature, but it is, it's the tech, it's the, you know, all the, the different things that go along with that, what we're seeing with the cameras and the, the sensors and things like that, but it's also the nutrition things. I mean, you know, nutrition seems to be a huge issue for, for teams now that I think was some sort of, you know, side thought probably 10 or 20 years ago. I mean, now that's like, well, I was reading an article uh, from The Athletic, and I think it was uh, the Royals general manager talking about, you know, how he was about to go have a meeting with nutritionists and, you know, uh, trainers and things of that nature. And I don't feel like GMs would have been doing that, you know, but they probably have to now because right, that right. is such a big thing. And not to get you off on the tangent, but... Um, I was going to go there anyway, so go I ahead. you would, but this is why it would be much more valuable to have at least some of those options, even if you're not paying the minor leaguers more, which you should, but even to at least provide them with that kind of, of thing at the ballpark so they can eat better and then do their job better. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things people will throw back at me is that, well, they're getting a meal every day. Well, mm. yeah. Sometimes it's like chicken nuggets, <laughs> which isn't exactly the kind of fuel that you want an elite athlete putting in their body. Sometimes it's Chipotle, which everyone talks about like it's this significantly improved option. It's still not necessarily the kind of nutrition and the balanced diet and the consistent way to take care of your body and to fuel it that you would get at at the elite level. So if if Major League Baseball wants to talk suddenly for the first time ever about their minor league players as elite athletes, well, then if you're going to emphasize how important nutrition is at the top, it doesn't it's not less important at the bottom. Like that's, <laughs> that is a core piece of being an elite athlete. That is the same, whether it's your first day in pro ball or you've been in the major leagues for the last 15 years. So if it's important at that highest level, it should also be important at the lowest level. And that's not something that those players can afford to do. That's why this change that, that the giants are putting in, in play with a $500 housing allowance for a couple of levels. And then, ways to provide housing for all the other levels as well is so huge because if you think about the difference in maybe having a hundred dollars a month <laughs> um mm -hmm. to, to play with and all of a sudden having that extra five hundred dollars that that you can put towards actual food and not like ramen noodle soup <laughs> that you're splitting with another guy and i'm not making that stuff up like those are those are stories that we see especially now on twitter from minor league players who will tell that story and you know that's the kind of thing that that you can improve even with just that small relatively small difference in um in that 500 housing allowance that will 
allow those elite athletes at the lower levels to uh, to train like it. And you can't train like an elite athlete if you're not fueling yourself like one. So, yeah, I was going to go there anyway, but thanks for uh, thanks for teeing that up. <laughs> well, and I'm going to continue down that rabbit hole just a little bit because one okay. thing you said there made me interested. You were talking about how minor leaguers are telling the story. Now, we saw Ty Kelly put out a, a post where it was like, you know, the minimal sandwich, you know, I don't know if he even had both pieces of bread for the sandwich. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, and you're saying we're seeing that, but I know you were talking just what a year or two years ago, yep. minor leaguers didn't want to rock the boat. They yeah. didn't want yeah. to put that story out. Is it, is it the contraction talks that have kind of shaken this loose? Do you think, or is it just another group of people coming in that, that are not necessarily beholden to the old way of, you know, you know, keep your mouth shut and move up. And then they're, they're more likely to, to make a fuss. You know, it's interesting. I don't know exactly what the switch is. I know that in the last year, a lot more people with larger audiences have written about minor league baseball. And I think it's, it's hard for me to say because I'm not in their shoes, but I know the guys that I have talked to, which is a lot more than I've written about because they don't want to be written about and named and and used in a story for the reasons that you're talking about, right? It's difficult when their job is on the line to then come out and say, yeah, actually my living situation is pretty terrible because it wouldn't be the first time that a baseball team cut a guy because they were tired of dealing with them, right? It's, it's so much more political than any of us want to imagine it is. So there are reasons that minor league players don't want to talk about it and, and don't want to have their name attached to it. But I think that there's also this realization that a lot of people do actually care about the circumstances that they're living in. And the, I, I mentioned it the other, the other, a couple shows ago, I don't remember when it was, um, but kind of the, the injustice of a system that could take care of it, choosing not to. And there are writers out there who are trying to tell this story. There are not enough. There are, there are enough people who know, you know, oh man, you, you set me up and now I'm not, uh, now, now we're in for it. All right. So th the point that I'm trying to make, with some level of delicacy is that everyone who writes about baseball knows that these stories exist. Not a lot of people who write about baseball have been willing to try to tell them. And I don't know what the reason is for that. I don't know if it's uh, a relation to having access to the major league team and they don't want to jeopardize that either, just like the minor league players don't want to jeopardize their own careers. But there haven't been a lot of people. And I have straight up been told People don't care about this story, so I'm not going to write it. So knowing that there are people who care, I think, makes a big difference in someone's willingness to share their story. And the reality is a lot of minor leaguers or former minor leaguers at this point have gotten out of baseball and begun to share some of their stories. And once someone does it, it's kind of like this whole paying minor league players thing. I mentioned it on Twitter after the Giants announced their change, the Cubs announced their change. It's kind of like the status quo is a thing that no one wants to break, but once someone does, other people will follow. And all of a sudden, it's not this line that cannot be crossed anymore. So I, I'm a little all over the place here, but I wasn't actually prepared to answer this question. So I'm trying to wrap a number of thoughts up into something relatively concise. And I think the reason a lot more stories are being told is one, because yes, there's 
a push towards guys recognizing that they have a platform for their for themselves whether it's twitter or instagram or youtube and we're seeing more and more minor league players establishing a quote brand in that respect and that gives them a place to to own their own stories instead of waiting for someone else to tell it but i also think that more people have been willing to tell those stories and to tell them from a perspective of hey this is a problem that has a solution and people need to know about it. And I think when you realize that someone cares about what you're going through, you're more willing to talk about it. And then the third thing is a bunch of guys don't want to lose their jobs when their teams are eliminated. So maybe there's a little less pressure on not losing your job because you complain about the sandwich you're eating (laughs) when the reality is 25% of the jobs available might go away next year. So some combination of all of those things might be what led to it. But honestly, that's, that's me projecting a bit and you'd have to ask some of those players directly to, to get more of an answer than that. See, yeah, we don't actually play on this show. So I just, just started. I had and, notes and that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one time we actually tried to, and we just completely ignored it. So anyway, all this was very important and I, I'm glad we went down it. I yeah. guess we should probably pull back though to uh Cardinal spring training. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, I know you had another rant and, and so I'll go to, <laughs> I just, <laughs> just, we'll just start up. No, we'll save that one. We'll save that one. I forgot. Let's talk about um, Matt Carpenter. Uh, who had a good start, um, you know, on Saturday, a couple hits, uh, going the opposite way. Um, I'm not going to say he looked necessarily fixed, but he looked a lot better than the Carpenter we saw last year. And again, mm-hmm. one yeah. game. Um, but, you know, if if we're going to get some sort of past Carpenter, again, not super all-star, destroy the Cubs kind of, of Carpenter, but something, you know, approximating that makes the season a whole lot more interesting. And and it looks like that's a possibility. Yeah. I mean, I think that's been a possibility all along. I think it's been the, the likelihood of that that's in question, but it's, it's fascinating to me to watch the dialogue around Matt Carpenter shift so dramatically from he's one of the top five players in baseball to he shouldn't even be playing baseball anymore. Mm-hmm. And it happens so quickly. I don't remember a player in recent history where the swing was that well. Okay. Colton Wong kind of slides in that happens to him too, but a little bit the of a other different way. scenario. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all of a sudden he starts playing well for two weeks and everybody's like, actually, he's good. And I'm like, I've been telling you. But anyway, um, talking about Matt Carpenter, not Colton Wong. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to watch the way that the conversation shifts around him. And that has to be frustrating, even as much as he tries to, to not pay attention to it, to know that weight kind of falls on him. I mean, we've seen a little bit of that from him in his incessant apologizing for mm-hmm. last season to the fan base. At some point, I just want to be like, dude, <laughs> ignore it and play baseball. Like we get it. And it's, I appreciate that as a fan of the team and as a fan of the game that, that he's aware of that enough to um, recognize that, yeah, he had a bad year and it's not something that he's particularly proud of or that he's just kind of brushing off as a thing that wasn't really important. But I do think that this year is a chance for him to, kind of reset and the fact that the Cardinals didn't go out and make a big splash and and bring in Arenado, which isn't super surprising, but they could have done it. 
the fact that they've reestablished their belief in the core that they do have, I think that bodes well for a bit of a reset button for Carpenter. And I have, I mentioned this to you before we started recording. I have a little bit of a theory about Matt Carpenter that's been developing over the last few years, but I think this season that the Cardinals took his 2013 year and tried to make Matt Carpenter the centerpiece of their offense was the worst possible thing that could have happened for Matt Carpenter. Because all of a sudden, and we talked about it then, right? He started looking like he was trying to hit home runs. He started looking like he was trying to be the the three-hole hitter that the Cardinals haven't had since you know, fill in the blank, whether it's Holiday or, or Albert Pujols or whatever. Um he started trying to be that guy. And that to me was never the guy that Matt Carpenter, Matt Carpenter profiled to be when he was at his best. We all talk about the doubles versus the home runs, but even just the approach was different. And the way that he kind of internalized what his role was with the team, I felt like there was this weight on his shoulders to be the offensive juggernaut when he was maybe better off as the complementary piece to the power hitter instead of the power hitter himself. And we've kind of seen him on this roller coaster trying to redefine what his role is and what his game looks like since then. So he mentioned in an article this week that he had a, a bad year in 2014 and was able to come back from that. And I still think that that, that just wide range of the version of Matt Carpenter that we get has been in part because his role has been so subjective to what the team needed him to be, right? That's why he became the leadoff hitter in the first place is because they had no other option. They needed a leadoff hitter. Well, then all of a sudden they needed a three-hole hitter and they were like, well, he drove in a bunch of runs. It's probably time to make him the three-hole hitter. And I still think that if he had played the same way, in the three spot, that would have been great, but he didn't, it shifted. And it, he, even if it was just mentally, you could see him thinking about it differently. And all of that to say, if he can come into this season and try to go back to, as he said, what he did so well when he was at his best, instead of trying to be whatever it is that the team needed him to be, if he could stop just being this chameleon <laughs> and just be Matt Carpenter, I think that would be when we get, the best version of this stage of life, Matt Carpenter, right? We're not expecting him to to Benjamin Button and go back in, in years and be um, younger than he really is. But if you can get a Paul Goldschmidt to play like a Paul Goldschmidt and you can get some of that offense out of any one of those outfielders they seem to be depending on and you can get Tommy Edmond to do what Tommy Edmond does, then Matt Carpenter doesn't have to be the key piece to that offense and he can stop trying to become something for this team and just be Matt Carpenter. And that's if he can return, whether it's mechanically or mentally, to what it was that he was doing when he was just trying to be Matt Carpenter, right? He wasn't trying to mm -hmm. fill a role. He was just trying to play baseball. That's when I think he'll be the best version that he can be at this point. You know, and, and he said, you know, 2014 was a bad year, but, you know, he had 272. He led the league in walks, uh, you know, you know, and had eight home runs. But, you know, if he's doing that, you know, I'll with maybe that. a little bit more power, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. we would take some of that. Um, so yeah, it, it, he's got, of course it's, it's kind of like Dexter Fowler, you know, hey, it's so low that, you know, that you have almost no place to go, but up. 
Um, right. And so hopefully right. that's what we're going to see out of, of Carpenter this year. But again, there's improvement and then they're still being a contributor. I mean, and, you know, um, and yeah. I, and hopefully yeah. we're going to see much more of, of Carpenter being that. Because you're right. I mean, it'd be nice to um, have him just just be able to go out and play. But, you know, that's the topic we've talked about for, for eons is the Cardinals not having that pillar in the lineup and where some idea that maybe Gold, Goldschmidt could be that and hopefully he'll turn into more of that than he was last year but you know it goes back to those guys that we've talked about them getting of Harper and Arenado or or somebody that's got the talent got the age got the ability to be the guy and let everybody else kind of you know bask in that glow if you will and not have to worry about putting yeah. out all that yeah. energy um, we've talked a lot about the hitting, um, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, I don't <laughs> feel like the offense has been just <clears throat> outstanding over the last two days. We've seen a little bit of, of home runs, but, um, Cardinals scored two runs in game one. They scored three game, three runs today, um, two, two late on a home run by Edmundo Sosa. Um, it's, it's, it's the first two days and it's, you know, Florida where the balls are always, it's always terrible to hit. I don't think we can draw a whole lot of conclusions from that. Um, pitching side, uh, you know, we've seen good. We've seen, I don't think we've seen bad. We've seen right, right. less than ideal maybe, but, um, <laughs> and it does seem to be that they're struggling in the second inning. And as you pointed out, Derek Gould had a, had an explanation or a tongue in cheek explanation. I don't know if he's how serious he was, but I'm, it's true about, um, you know, the BP not, letting them sit down and then come back out and, and they're having to deal with those breaks. Um, I, you know, not that they haven't done that for their whole entire career, but it just takes a while to get back into that mindset, I would think. Yeah. And I, I imagine just physically having not thrown and then taken a break and then thrown again mm -hmm. over the course of the winter. It's just a, it's a getting back into game shape and I think much like we can't draw too many conclusions from home runs by Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader today or Sosa for that matter right you really can't draw too many conclusions from a second inning from Adam Wainwright that was a little sketchy a second inning from Martinez that was a little sketchy some runs that were allowed those sorts of things so mm -hmm. I like you said nobody really had a complete disaster of an inning I think more important or more significant are some of the guys that did put up zeros or did look pretty good as far as Cecil um, Kaminsky coming in after years away from the team. I, that's such a cool story to me. I love mm -hmm. the possibility of him making the team Cabrera looking good, um, KK looking good, all those things. So there are plenty of reasons to feel like, and I should also obviously mention Jack Flaherty, who I didn't see any of it, but all the reviews were pretty, pretty universal in their praise of what they saw from Jack Flaherty day one. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's such an interesting time this first week of spring training, getting everybody back out there, seeing what they look like checking for improvements, that sort of thing. But you also have to remember that it is spring training and sometimes they're working on specific things or sometimes they're looking for a specific result and how they can get to it. And it doesn't always look the prettiest. Um, but there is also some repetition that is involved in going out there and, and suddenly pitching in game action and not just live BP. And uh, but yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think there's much more you can take away from it than that at this point. But 
I will say I will be curious to see the starters progression Mm -hmm. as we go through spring, because I don't know that any of us felt super comfortable with where the starters were at coming out of spring last year, feeling like they hadn't really pitched through five innings of a game yet at that point. And Mm -hmm. suddenly they were going to be expected to do that. And quite frankly, they couldn't, it didn't go well. It was probably three, four weeks before we really felt like, well, it was actually probably longer than that. We were complaining about the rotation for quite a while at the well, start. That's the of time they got season. good is when the offense stopped and nobody yeah, started winning. Yeah. So. Right. That's that's how that worked out. But <laughs> it took them a while to feel like it took a while for us to feel comfortable watching a game thinking, okay, this guy can go five innings. And that's not necessarily the way that starting pitching is defined these days, but you feel like you want him at least to be prepared to go five innings, mm-hmm. capable of that coming out of spring and and not feel like it's going to take 175 pitches to do so. <laughs> yeah, that would be a lot better. Yeah, it is. It, it's so funny that we spend so much time talking about spring training when, you know, a pitcher might throw 20 innings or a batter might get what 50 at bats or something like that. And like you said, they're not always good at bats. They're working on something or they're facing some guy out of double a or whatever. And, and then we expect spring training stats to determine who goes to, you know, who goes North and all that kind of stuff. And they will this year, they have to, but it's, it's really interesting that we put so much weight on those as fans. I don't, and then we like, well, this guy was great. Tommy Edmond last year, he was great. And, in uh, spring training, why aren't you taking him? Well, he was great for a couple of weeks. Now it turned right, out maybe right. I should have, but how often have we seen guys go north and then just do nothing? Yaro Munoz, mm-hmm. <laughs> for, <Yeah>. for example. <laughs> um, anyway, also uh, on the pitching staff, um, Mike Schiltz made the shocking announcement that Jack Flaherty is going to be the opening day starter. Um, what? Yeah. I love that he he said that and then started walking away from the reporters like yeah, yeah. no really? question and they, the question yeah one of the guys said why, <laughs> why? I love that he just really, really? and walked away <laughs> yeah it's like no I'm not gonna you know I'm not, not gonna, gonna answer that dumb question <laughs> no, no but anyway it is interesting that I think it's now obviously it's we'll have to wait and see how the rotation lines out. Like you said, I think we'll see who starts pitching after Flaherty to see who's going to be the second. And I don't know if they'll line it up. So Adam Wainwright gets the home opener or whatever, like they've done. Yeah. I wondered about that. That's going to be interesting. And I also think it's going to be interesting. I think this first week, especially the first week, maybe a little bit longer, you're going to see a lot of rotation of the players. You know, we saw half the starters play um, Saturday and then half of them played Sunday. And, but I think I'd be interested to see maybe maybe in that week or ten day period where these you start seeing maybe some people that have gotten uh, enough that they're going to be regulars that we might see Tyler O'Neill for two or three days in a row and start seeing getting some ideas of what they're thinking and how this is going to be. I think it's going to be kind of interesting to kind of maybe try to read the tea leaves a little bit. It's a little too early for yeah. that, but yeah. in another week or so, we might be have a little bit more data to start saying, well, we've seen this, we've seen that. What do we get out of it? Yeah, there's um, not a whole lot to <laughs> to take away at this point. Um, but I do. I do think there's this is a more interesting spring training than we've seen 
the last few years simply because there are more holes to fill in. <laughs> uh, there are more pieces of this puzzle that we don't know all the details for. Yeah. And I think it's going to be interesting to, as you said, see who starts to get a little more playing time or who starts to get, um, you know, some innings where you think it could be someone else or who ends up on that first round of cuts and those sorts of things. Because there are some guys who haven't really been talked about, Edmundo Sosa being one of them, that realistically have the opportunity to break camp with the team if they go out and, and prove that they're capable of that. But it would be unlikely considering the other options, perhaps ahead of them on the depth chart. So those are all the things that are exciting about spring training even if the the results don't necessarily matter i will say this is the only time i'm ever okay with a tie because i think extra innings in spring training is absolutely stupid especially if you're going to start with a runner on second base oh yeah and it's i mean to some degree it's like well okay that might be a little bit more innings for some of those minor league guys because by that time the starters are or should be well gone but you don't always bring a lot of guys to spring training games yeah. too. So um, it's it's fine with me. But yeah, I'm not big on the whole runner on second thing because that's just It's bad. It's so yeah. bad. They did it in the minor leagues last year, and I hated it then. And it didn't make extra innings any shorter because everyone just tries to bunt the runner over, and they're really mm -hmm. bad at bunting. So it doesn't work. And then they try to swing it for the fences and then they strike out and then you get it just is stupid it's yeah. dumb and it doesn't make anything shorter and i hate everything about it <laughs> but other than that she has real no opinion right no I, i'm pretty neutral honestly yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> all right well like i said the cardinals have another week of games i will say it's very interesting to me given how the end of the season went last year that they're using john gant tomorrow as the starter in this idea that he's going to make along with so many others with Michaelis out um, so many others that are going to be running for a starter position. Um, and I, you know, I just, I mean, Gant feels like a guy to me that could easily be non-tendered by the end of the, of the spring, depending on how things go. So it's very interesting that they're not, that they're putting him in the starter rotation or starter competition, if you will. Um, especially when he struggled so much last year in part because of overuse. Yeah. I, I, Really like John Gant. I think that I could see him in a similar role to what he played last year, but hopefully with a little more backup in that bullpen so it didn't have to just be him all the time. So I don't know. There, there's such an interesting mix of possible arms for that bullpen right now that I feel like you could fill it out a different way every day for the remainder of spring training and still maybe not get it right. So mm. seeing him in sort of that mix with the starters right now is a little strange, except that it's a role he's played before. And sort of the beauty of a John Gant type is that he can swing back and forth a little bit between those two roles if necessary. I, I just don't think it's really necessary <laughs> at yeah. this point or beneficial considering the options that they have and the way that they're um, available to be used. I also, man, I'm, I'm really curious uh, about Austin Gomber. And I think this is a really important year for him not to just mm -hmm. dive off another, um, <laughs> another the rabbit trail here at the moment, but I think it's a really interesting year for him, really important year for him because he's been one of those guys that it was like, this guy is going to be great. And then he just sort of disappeared. So mm -hmm. I think this is a really important opportunity for him to kind of remind everybody similar 
in some respect to Alex Reyes, right? As a guy right. who was at one point factored in as a future rotation staple and now is kind of fighting for the chance to just be on the roster. And I feel a little bit the same way about Austin Gomber. The things that he brings to the table are great, but he has to be able to produce consistent results and then maybe do something a little extra because there are so many guys in the mix right now. He's got to find a way to stand out. Yeah, and he doesn't really have the bullpen to fall back on because there's so many lefties out right, there already. Right. Um, and again, we go back to the three play it better minimum this year, although um, that wouldn't really affect him. He's obviously be able to get both out, but you know, with so many other possible options in the bullpen that are left-handed, he's pretty much a rotation or, or Memphis for him. It feels like. Um, I don't know. I, I'm sure we'll see him sometime this year. I, I would be very surprised to see him. Um, make that jump right there at the end of spring, but you're right. It's a big year for him. And um, we'll see how that works. And again, Hey, a good spring, a really good spring. And you know, it may not be beneficial for St. Louis, but you could see him traded um, somewhere. Right. I, it kind of yeah. feels like this is going to be a year that assuming people do well in the spring, that there might be a trade late in the, in the game, you know, um, maybe not be for much, maybe for, for minor leaguers or whatever, but you know, a place to give somebody like Daniel Ponce de Leon or Austin Gomber or someplace, uh, somebody that's ready to for the majors, but there's just not a place for him, St. Louis, um, a chance to play somewhere else. Um, we'll see. I mean, both of those guys have options left, I think, so they're not forced to do so. But um, it feels like maybe that's more of a possibility this year than it has been in the past. Yeah, definitely some of that are you more of a benefit to us wasting away on a triple a roster or mm -hmm. as a, a trade piece for something that we could actually use? And that's, it sounds super impersonal <laughs> to say it like that, but that's the reality of, of the function of trying to create a, a roster that, that works well for you. And it doesn't kind of work against the player either. Yeah. Well, we've gone over our normal time, so I'm not going to ask Tara to start another rant. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, as fun as that is and as, as great as it is, we'll keep it a little bit shorter this time. Um, again, Cardinals have a full week of games. In fact, a, a split squad game, squad on um, uh, on Wednesday, so they'll have two games there. Um, so we'll have a lot more data points to talk about next week, um, and we'll make some wild and crazy conclusions from them i'm sure um, yes. because that's what you do in the spring so. it is certainly what we do in the spring exactly. obviously obviously so until then for tara i'm daniel good night hey cardinals fans thanks for listening to this week's show if you liked what you heard you can find us on itunes just search gateway to baseball heaven under podcasts and click subscribe while you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.